Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, everyone, hey, this is Lisa Fields. This is our last session for the Through Eyes of Color Conference. And as promised, we have Two Woke for Church Part 2. So many of you uh, hit me up asking me about the interview with Show and how much you love it. It's one of our most watched interviews on YouTube and Facebook. Um, And uh, I thought it would be really cool to close out the conference with the conversation with uh, the great artist, Mr. Amisho Baraka Lewis. Welcome, welcome, show. <laughs> it's all down here from here. You pumped it up and you were like the, the most watch, and now it's gonna be terrible. So I'm yeah, you around. know. Thank you. Thank you know, it's it's really it's a song you have about Galatians that really <laughs> are you trying to you trying to come for me right now? <laughs> I don't appreciate this. I don't appreciate you. All right. No, but for real, I I tell you about the CD, but I really wouldn't have passed my exam on Paul without the thirteen letters from one sixteen uh, <laughs> helping it's me. One one six. It's one one six. Get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so f- before we even get started, uh, for the people who may not know who you are, that may be living under a rock because you're such a celebrity, uh, <laughs> let them know know who you are. Um, well, I've learned that I need to start off by saying I am a, a husband to a wonderful wife, a father to three wonderful children. My name is uh, Show Baraka, or some people may know me as Amisho Baraka. Uh, in short, I'm just a uh, I'm an artist in the sense that I make music and also act and create film, and soon to be an author. Uh, even though I've contributed to other books, but this is uh, I'll have my first book releasing pretty soon. So, uh, ideator, consultant, um, I just, I I like to call myself a solutionary. I I think of, you know, the world is filled with problems and God has given us the raw materials to address those solutions with our time, talent, and treasure. And so I just try to apply the things that the Lord has given me to create solutions in areas that I feel like, you know, I'm either called to or I'm competent in. Mm, solutionary. Never, never heard of that before, but that's, that's dope. Uh, also, you used to be my favorite rapper until I met you. And then I was like, man, this man isn't. Like you're never, supposed to meet your, never supposed to meet your heroes, cuz. <laughs> no, like, he's, he's, he's too humble to be a rapper. I can't <laughs> rock with humble rappers. I was just like, man, his shoes don't match his outfits. Uh, <laughs> say, okay, see. You gonna stop clowning my wardrobe game, cause it stay. I stay with the fashion. <laughs> with the fashion. <laughs> well, uh, let's get to what we're here to talk about. Too woke for church part two. Um, I think the reason it resonated with people is because they're in this uh, space where they're meeting a lot of people, or they are themselves a person that found themselves waking up um, to new concepts about their identity and felt disconnected. It was disconnected from what they were hearing in church. Uh, But it seems to have evolved since that conversation we had three years ago. And I don't know if it's evolved to a place that is healthy at all. What what are your thoughts, uh, Mr. Mr. Baraka? (laughs) Can I first say that I know that, you know, this this conversation is somewhat postured in the the negative, but I want to say something positive about because we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of critiques, but I want to say something positive about what's happened. Um, I think the church and society has been um, complicit in a lot of 
ills socially, physically, financially. I mean, the world is, is we can easily look in our communities. We can look around the places where churches are closest to, and we can see that there's, there are a lot of problems, right? Um, Christianity on this particular continent has not been the panacea that it should be, especially for people of color. And in a lot of ways, it was used as a tool to subjugate and oppress people. And so the ways in which are the, the need to, to castigate it and to uh, scrutinize Christianity and society is so necessary. And so for people to, to, to wake up to these particular critiques or these particular ills that are being propagated, I think is amazing. I think it's necessary. Um, and I encourage it, con con I continually encourage that critique. However, um, there are particular uh, ideologies and particular results that have been um, fleshed out that I don't think are healthy for the church, nor do I think it's um, biblical, right? Um, I think some of the, the, the results that, have, that people have come to, some of the um, methods that people use, I think are quite damaging. And I think the Bible actually has, has answers to how we should address a lot of these issues within society. So I would say to your question, I would say, I don't think, I, I would agree. I don't think that, um, I think we're in a much worse place. I don't even remember what year we did that conversation, but I think we're in a worse place now, not only um, as how society maybe views racism, but also how society is trying to deal with racism. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about something um, this morning and I was thinking about Isaiah and um, how uh, before he gets to chapter six, He's talking about the ills in society. Mm -hmm. When he gets to chapter six, he said, woe is me. Right. I am undone. That right. he is a, he realizes that he's a part of the ills Come in on. society. And I wonder, though, if we never get to chapter six, which doesn't give us grace for chapters one through five. Come on. Um, we keep talking about every the ills of society without ever realizing that we are undone ourselves. Um, do you uh, think that contributes to it? That's so <laughs> we, we're done. We're done with this conversation because everybody wants justice, right? But nobody wants justice, justice exacted on them, right? Because we, it's easy for us to look around and to point out the flaws in, in, in systems. Um, but oftentimes we don't want to, want to look at ourselves and how we can be complicit. Now, I do think it's important for us to address issues in society. Um, but I think part of the problem with how we address uh, wokeness is this kind of like moral absolution or how we, we set up these objectivities or these objective views on our particular ideologies and we leave no room for nuance. And man, I think when, you, when your posture, it lacks humility, when you feel like you're absolutely right about something, you put yourself in the most vulnerable place to perpetuate heinous evils. And mm -hmm. I believe that we are in a position where people who believe they're absolutely right, who lack humility, are gonna, are gonna <laughs> become the very products that they're trying to fight against. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if that when I think about who's right or who's wrong, I think about the fact that even the people that start to say, you know, this person is right, that person that they deemed as right, then they say, oh, this person is wrong. So they mm -hmm. become the arbiter of right and wrong. Okay. And nobody's able to fit in their framework. Yeah. Even the people that they upheld become demonized at yeah. a certain point. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's just like, well, if and then they'll be like, well, everybody goes to heaven. And I'm like, I don't even think in your framework you want everyone with you there for eternity because yeah. your scope is so limited. Only you and maybe your friend, if they survive the next five years based on your framework, yeah. will make it, will be people you even want to be around. Facts. Man, it's, it's, it's a very fragile faith. Like, you know what I mean? But when you, when you, I mean, think about this. For the most part, people have, I have fans with friends who have punted the faith because Donald Trump got elected by people who would claim to be Christians or evangelicals. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I'm like, if that's the reason why you've 
abandon a particular faith. I, I just, man, I say your faith and your foundation in Jesus was so, so fragile. Um, we, I mean, I look at all of my heroes in history and I can find deep flaws in each one of those individuals. And the moment when we begin to remove the human element from our faith um, is the moment we, like we don't understand what true faith is. Like, I have to understand that I believe in something that's much greater than me, that accomplishes great, greater works than I. And, and, and I alone, through my human power, cannot accomplish anything apart from the spirit of the Lord, which is more powerful than anything. And so to, to, to recognize that people have flaws and they make flawed decisions is part of the course for Christianity. And yes, that means electing people who are ridiculous. And that means supporting people who are ridiculous. My, one of my heroes, Alexander Crummel, was uh, the father of Pan-Africanism, right? Was racist against Native Americans, said really heinous things about uh, uh, Native Americans. But that people aren't going to punt Pan-Africanism because of the things that he taught or the things that he believed, because they understand that, the, that he held an idea, an ideology that was somewhat beneficial, right? Same with, with King, same with uh, many of our leaders. There are people who are deeply flawed and the, the truth that they carry is in broken vessels. And that's what Corinthians talks about. Like we are fragile, broken people who carry a wonderful truth. And sometimes you can see those cracks, but the treasure that is inside is, is way more valuable than the vessel. Hey man, come on somebody. I'm, I'm about to preach this thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So, and I, the other thing is that I, I I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit. What they're abandoning, like, so you, they abandoned one ship for another flawed ship, right? Uh, it's the same thing when I used to tell, like, I used to be an elder at a church and people would leave our church to, because they were like, well, I just can't handle this and I need to go to this church. And I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not about trying to keep you at this church, but recognize no matter what church you go to, you're going to, you're going to have to deal with sinfulness because we live in a, in a, <laughs> we're plagued with humanity, Humanity's, humanity has problems. And until you are able to solve that problem, no matter what church you go to is gonna be an issue. So you have people who are leaving one flawed institution because academia is telling them one thing, right? Academia is a flawed institution as well. And they teach things. It's funny to me how Christians are trying their best to shame the church with people who have no love for the faith that they would hold dear to their heart. And it's like you're you're partnering with folks who have no love for the church to tear it down. And guess what? The moment you begin to uh, expose yourself for whatever belief you have, they're going to shame you as well. Or you're going to have to, <laughs> in some ways, deconstruct the things you believe, to your point, to get to a place where you have no real faith and you're just believing anything. And, that, and that's no faith at all. And we realize that's not Jesus. Jesus had standards. Jesus had a... Uh, 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 moral, uh, I guess you can say, uh, absolutes that he says that for us to follow, and so not academia. So anyway, I can ramble on, so I'll let you uh, snatch the mic. <laughs> no, I think that's good, but I, I wonder because I think we are exposed to so much, um, and I think traumatized people struggle with reason, right? Um, and I say that we're consuming a lot of information. Um, and I wonder how does that affect our ability to reason? Um, the, one of the reasons why we started this conference off with a lecture from Dr. C.J. Rhodes on, called uh, Philosophy 101, A Reason for Reason, is because I feel like people have lost their ability to reason. Not saying that reason is the end all be all, because right. obviously um, there's flaws in that. Um, right, 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 right. But emotion has to be balanced with reason. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in a culture that is only filtering how we process through our emotions, which is dangerous. And the expectation for the church and Christians is so high mm -hmm. um, and everything else is so low. Why do you think the expectations for Christians in the church is so high? Um, and, and, and other things get passes. Well, I think it should be high. So let me let me say that it should be high. Maybe not as high as we often <laughs> like 
like indict the church to be a perfect institution, right? So for instance, you can't name an institution that hasn't practiced some form of oppression and hasn't been on the side of uh, some sort of subjugation. Academia, um, science, science has been used, right? When you think about eugenics, when you, when you think about um, how that, uh, that practice was used to teach uh, an inferiority of a particular group of people and which in a lot of ways spawned other practices like slavery and et cetera, um, nobody's going to abandon science. Nobody's abandoning institutions uh, of academia because they feel like, well, that has been used for the subjugation of et cetera, et cetera. Economics has been used for the subjugation of people groups. When you think about redlining, when you think about um, how the banks took black people's money and and uh, and then floundered it uh, or used it for frivolous things and then turned around and was like, oops, well, you know, but ain't nobody gonna stop trying to make money. <laughs> you know, feel me? Um, so there's, there's relationships, right? People fall in love and then fall out of love every day. But nobody's gonna say the institution of relationships or marriages are pointless, right? Well, some people do. For some reason, we do this with religion. We 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 do this with, with Christianity. We we see the flaws in it and we say, well, because of people's misuse or misappropriation of this particular institution or the teachings, therefore I am done with this thing and I am no longer being a part of it. And I think that's unfair. Um uh and I think it's unwise. Hopefully that makes sense in my ramble. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are going to be uh, struck by what you just said. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm absolutely uh, cool. I, know, I know you are completely fine with that. <laughs> uh, as you think about nuance and the ways in which we 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 would process that, because we could deal with the stat, stats and the data and policing and all that. But I think that would get us off the topic of uh, to vote for church. Yeah. Uh, the inability to engage nuance. What do you think, what are some things that have been helpful for you when you're confronted with trauma and reason? How, what have been helpful tools for you to engage nuance that you think would help our audience? So one of the practices, not to go back to the previous conversation, but with many things, right? So like within the last five, six months, I've been very vigilant about, all right, with this policing thing, like I, I found myself tweeting and saying things that I was like, man, do I really believe this, right? Uh, and I've been rapping about police brutality since 2010. And so this is not, this is nothing new to me, right? There are people now who just found out that they were black and that there's racism and now they have huge platforms within the Christian <laughs> space. And like, I'm cool with that because I do think people need to learn and evolve and and get to a particular place as I got to a particular place around 2010, 2011, where people were like, show you need to wake up, right? However, the one thing that I've, I've done in the last six months is when I read a book, so for instance, I read The End of Policing, which I think is a great book by Alex Vitale, and it's about basically reforming policing across the, across the board, and I think that's necessary. Uh, I think we ask police to do way too much, which causes way too many violent interactions. However, on the other flip side of that, I'll say, you know what, let me read some counter arguments to this. So some academic papers, one by Roland Fryer, another one by Jonathan McWhorters, um, who say, you know what, Ho, there's racism in our country, but the way we're talking about policing may be a little bit skewed, right? And I take those two pieces of work and I say, man, how can I build a, a, a articulate, intelligent foundation for what I believe when it comes to this particular issue. And so within that, I've come to the point where I'll say, you know what? Yes, there are ways in which police, where there is a, a racial animus towards policing, black uh, uh, um, uh, policing people. But also, I also see that there are ways in which we talk about it, which I don't think are, 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 are true and are helpful for our community. Policing is a problem in our, in our country in general. I think way too many people are dying. The police get called on way too many circumstances and issues. However, every particular issue is not a racial animus issue. And so for me, I'm like, how do we address this and talk about this issue in a way that I think is honest, but also a way that I think is beneficial to actually create change. And so what I do is I try to get multiple sources on an issue that I think are credible and I attack the information and I, and I try to pull out like, all right, I may be wrong. And let me say this. I am 
perfectly fine with people saying that was a ridiculous thing because I'm a learner. And I think that is the part of the problem. I'm, I don't come to the table thinking like what I'm saying is absolute facts and true. I come to and I think I'm confident in this. However, change my mind. Yeah. And I think that is the the challenge, right? Because people think they're real well read. They're only well read on one side. That goes oh. for the, <laughs> the left and the right. And so when you're asking people, I was in a meeting and uh, a guy was saying, yeah, I've read on this issue. I've read Thomas Sowell and, uh, <laughs> and other black yeah. conservatives. And so the other guy was right. like, but have you read anybody? Have you right. ever read Ta-Nehisi Coates? Or like, yeah, like Andrew, yeah. Angela Davis. But yeah, like, and so, yes, absolutely. But then it's even, what's funny is, even if we take it past, like, uh, some of the political stuff. One thing I realized, because I've done it too, so I'm guilty, and I and I have to stop doing it. Um, we quote oftentimes we quote people, and we and and we really don't read them. Like mm -hmm. I know so many people who, for instance, will quote Toni Morrison, right, for a particular argument, and I and I I love Toni, and I read a lot of Toni. I don't just read her her fiction; I read her essays. I have like three books of her essays. And it's fascinating, the stuff, and the same thing with Zora Neale Hurston. It's fascinating when you read people's essays, they begin in their biographies, you begin to say, oh, this is kind of like what they believed on this particular issue. I think Baldwin's another one of those individuals. Baldwin gets quoted a lot, but oftentimes he's misquoted or he's quoted in a con out of context, right? So I think oftentimes we'll, we won't just read a, a book and say, oh, now I'm authority on issues. We quote people who may not have had a particular view on this, on this issue that we thought that they had. Um, so um, for instance, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg just died, um, you know, a couple of days ago. And, <clears throat> and I, I don't, I didn't know anything about her. I just knew, obviously I knew she was Supreme Court, Court Justice. And so, you know, I'm gonna read some stuff about her. And then I'll start watching multiple documentaries. And you know what I realized, cause all, she, she became more liberal as time went on, but in her first couple years within the, um, and even before she became um, a Supreme Court Justice, she has some, some very conservative views, right? And so when people tweet about her being this, you know, demonic, liberal, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, yo, she's nuanced. She she has layers to her. And I think the problem is, is we don't think about people as being layered and being nuanced. We think of them in categories because we want political polarization. Yeah. And if they do something we don't like, they're definitely, they become demonized. That's so it. the ability for relationship across uh, denominational lines, cross party lines, becomes increasingly hard. Um, there was a Supreme Court justice that I um, can't I can't think of his name, but he died, and he was con extremely conservative. Yeah, yeah. Um, and him and Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg had a great relationship. They were really close, and the fact that they could coexist with different ideologies is something I think we can learn from because we we struggle with that today. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I created Courageous Conversations to have dialogue because I believe that the truth often is in the middle. Um, but if you can never have that conversation where you're sharpening each other, yeah. you don't get to see the truth in all this sometimes nuance. Um, and sometimes the truth is not nuanced. It just is what it is. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it, the chips have to fall where they may. You either agree or disagree with that um right yeah so i think that is the challenge for us today because we we are quick to demonize and so we get in these unhealthy patterns where we're not able to have relationships we're not able to interact with institutions on any level and i mean that's that that's i guess extreme of that is a society collapses yeah yeah when <sighs> Like I said, I think when, when people get to a place where they feel certain things need to be shut down, there are certain mm -hmm. beliefs and ideologies that need to be shut down and people need to, um, I guess you could say be canceled. Like, uh, <laughs> However, 
I think we are so we are too quick to pull the trigger on on canceling people than I think we need to be. Um, I I don't I, I just you know the Bible I think is very clear about humanity's condition. We are depraved people. We are people who had the opportunity to participate in great flourishing uh, in a land that was bountiful and we desired to colonize it all um, through our wicked desires. And yet God still granted us grace and favor to, uh, to be able to get to a place of redemption and reconciliation. Um, and yet and still, you know, it's, it's funny to me, especially within the Christian space, the amount of the, the lack of grace that we're willing to, to offer to people who may say or do some ridiculous things. That doesn't mean just because somebody says something ridiculous don't mean that you that we, we don't call them out. They need to be corrected. Um, and in some ways, people need to be shamed. Uh, shame is, is something that's good. Uh, I do think when people do something utterly ridiculous, for them to feel shame, it will lead them to repentance, hopefully. However, to totally say that someone needs to be canceled or shut shut up or like they they can no longer participate in the public discourse or they they no longer should get any kind of public support because of something they've done and said leaves very little grace for them to be uh, repentant and to turn around, right? Um, and then even when people do repent and turn around, it, it, we don't receive them in a way that the father receives the prodigal son, right? And we don't celebrate that. Um, it's almost like we we thirst and we we live for people's demise, especially with social media. Um, it's 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 heartbreaking because as as my brother John John Anwachekwa makes a statement, he says, "Man, to get people to to get people to stop shooting at one another is a wonderful thing, but ultimately, what real love is getting enemies to be family." And I don't see people wanting to be family. I just don't see it. Um, so anyway. You know, the, I think the irony of this is many people don't go to church because the the fact that they say they were shamed. So younger people say they were shamed for their sins. Um, if they got pregnant, uh, they mm -hmm. were shamed. Um, and they don't buy into the institution because they feel like people weren't gracious to them in their mm -hmm. sin and yeah. look down upon them. And I think that what you're not healed from, you become. Yeah. And I do think when people have these wounds and scars from church or home or different spaces, they become the enemies that they once, they once despised. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I do see that pattern happening to where people say, you know, I didn't like this institution because I didn't feel like they handled my sin properly. Well, yeah. when somebody else sins against them or do something they don't like, yeah. the, they have the same posture. Sometimes they can even be harsher than those yeah. who did the initial infraction because unforgiveness usually makes you a repeat offender. Maybe not in the exact same way, yeah. but usually that way. And the only way to break that pattern is to forgive. Yeah. You man, so and so to in defense this is the reason why I said earlier that <clears throat> the church should be, there should be greater expectation for the church in some regards, right? Um, especially for individuals who are shepherding your soul. Grace to me is what the, is what Christianity is about, grace and love. People are going to sin. I, I don't think Christianity is about the, you know, the, the avoiding of sin or, uh, uh, walking a perfect life. It's about knowing who, what humanity is and growing closer to God in grace and love. And if we have that as the, the major tenets of the, of the Christian faith, that we recognize as people violate us, as people violate society, that we challenge them in their sin with the hopes and the expectations that they return. Now, there are certain things that I feel like you handle. There are certain particular shortcomings or sins that people that people practice that you 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 definitely use more compassion for um 
especially if if it's a situation like a pregnancy, right? Like what I think of people don't deserve harsh um punitive like some sort of punitive uh 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 response for things that aren't harming people you know what i'm saying um when you think about violence when you think about things that are bringing extreme detriment to our society yes in those situations people need to be like shaken challenged and shamed to some degree with the hopes that they will, will will turn around and we receive them back in grace and love. And there are certain things where people have shortcomings and we don't use the same kind of gravitas. We, you know, it's the same gravitas, the same type of heavy handedness, I guess you can say. However, oftentimes, to change the subject just a little bit, the things in which we think are is church hurt or shame is really the Bible. It's just the teaching of scriptures that are, uh, that have that have offended us, and it's not the church. It's just people, <laughs> people suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Absolutely, and so so in <laughs> in a situation like that, I found so many people who just don't like who just don't like the laws of God and. The truth of Christ has offended them, and so therefore they leave the church. And I'm like, you know, the reality it is, is this is one of those situations where the Bible teaches us how to address systematic issues. The Bible teaches us how to reason. The Bible teaches us how to be in line with the gospel and yet still fight for justice. Uh, and if you find that the 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 that the church and the gospel is insufficient in that, then you may have a problem with Jesus and not a problem with your pastor. Now, yes, there are pastors out there who are teaching um, and, or are being negligent in how they talk about justice. There are pastors out there who are who are being an obstacle, and those people need to be corrected and challenged as well. But at the end of the day, the church in its essence is for justice, is for marginalized people. Um, and for us to say that, you know, the Christian faith is uh is not as ad adequate as some of these academic and, and social sociological ideas to me is is deeply flawed and problem and, and troublesome mm -hmm. yeah and I, I think that is instructive i think for us to evaluate our hurt and trauma with church yeah and start to deconstruct that um before we start to try to deconstruct our faith uh because if we could say okay what pieces Say you were in the church where the pastor was walling out. Okay, then you, that's something different where you're in the church where they're preaching something that you don't want to align your life to. So then you have to start to separate and deconstruct what your issue is to even be able to speak truth to it. Mm -hmm. And to see that, like, if your pastor was walling out in the scriptures, preachers and priests were walling out all the time and God was correcting them through the prophets uh, <laughs> about their their abuse of, of monetary. So this is not new. So <clears throat> you can tell that God is uh, very much against that. So then you could separate that from what is what the God uh, that they claim to be representing. Um, and I think it's important for us to do that, to interrogate our own hurt and our own trauma so we can process things as they are not as our emotions have inflated them to be. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely making sense. And I get it though, you know, black people have been through some bleep in this country. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and it almost feels hopeless, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of ways, I do think a lot of what's being taught in some of these, um, you know, a lot of these ideologies is is nihilism. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a black pessimism. And that's the way your hope. <laughs> that's that the great thing. It sucks away your hope. No, there is no hope, right? There's so yeah. and I think that is <laughs> that is obtuse from what the Bible teaches us. First of all, it's 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 antithetical to what uh to what the Bible teaches. But it's also obtuse to what we've seen and and actually witnessed in Black theological history in this country. 
we've seen people live through much worse times than we live in right now. And guess what? They had the greatest of hopes in, in the gospel. They had the greatest of hopes in Jesus. They sang about it. That's how we got Negro spirituals. Think about James Weldon Johnson's poetry, wrote about it. Think about the, the dancing, how you take cakewalking. Cakewalking, you take the shame of, of slavery and you turn it into something, right? Probably where we got soul train lines from. You think, like, the, like you get, that's where you get the, the Harriet Tubman's. That's where you get the Sir Jordan Truths. This is where we, our theological history comes from people who did, who had the audacity to hope in the darkest of times. And I can't believe that we're taking on these ideologies, the theologies of pessimism and nihilism and promoting this lack of hope as if there is no redemption and reconciliation. Every day we hope to be reconciled with people we love. I wake up every day and I'm like, man, hopefully me and my wife will love each other today. We have problems in our marriage and then we wake up and say, let's work on it. Because we have hope that our marriage will last and that it will um, restore us to our dying day. And in the same way, I hope that we have hope in our relationships with one another across race, across culture, across class as well. That's another thing we're not talking about. Um, is the class issues that we have within society and even some of the privilege that academia has in trying to tell people how to think and how to process information and situations when a lot of uh, the black community is like, nah, I don't know if I rock with that. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of nuance and and I, I can't use the word nuance. If we had a, if we were playing a drinking game, we both be drunk right now, how many times nuance has been used. But, <laughs> but you but know, yeah. you're right. I, I tell this story, me and my friend uh, were having brunch and, you know, DC boozy, bougie brunch, uh, like <laughs> us, uh, I consider people say I, I, I operate in the bougie space. You know, I don't, I, I'd say I have preferences. Um, but anyway. I'm, I'm all the way bougie. Yeah. I'm like, like, the Lord, the Lord saved me, but I'm still bougie. Yeah. So, you know, so we're waxing eloquently about the ills of the world and uh, the how we need to fight for justice and the marginalized. And he was completely passionate about it. So we get outside and a homeless man asks for some money. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I don't have anything. You know, I really don't care cash. And I said, do you have something? He's like, I, I don't give homeless people money. They uh. <laughs> They probably gonna use it for something else. And it, it <laughs> in that moment, I was like, "That is the black elite, yeah. always waxing eloquently yeah. about the ills of society, but don't necessarily want to be around the marginalized. Help yeah. the marginalized with the words. Get on CNN and commentate about the marginalized. Write books about the marginalized, but you ain't gonna see us hanging with the marginalized. On the yeah, yeah." <laughs> It's it's funny how a lot of these, a lot of these uh, academics, they you know, I don't want to call out this one particular person, um, talks about black injustice and black this and black that, and it was asked, why don't you teach at a black institution? Because there are many of black institutions that can use your your intelligence and your presence, right? Is like, well, they don't pay enough, and I'm like, well, 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 ain't that capitalism? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like. We, you know, we talk about injustice and people look, oh, there's, there should be no such thing as billionaires and et cetera, et cetera. But how many of y'all are going to stop using Amazon to get y'all stuff? You know what I mean? This is the kind of things, this is, this is why I think a lot of our, our conversation around justice is just totally situational. It's, it's, it's situational ethical. It's like, what's ethical for me, it should be ethical for everybody else. However, when we put that, when we apply it or take it to its furthest end, it does not hold weight. And... I think this is where the Bible communicates truth. It's like, what does the Bible say about these issues? And it's not just good for my soul, it's good for society. And oftentimes the things that we want to push and promote aren't really good for society. It's just good for our own self-consciousness and, and, but, or it's good for our particular class of people. And so, I don't know, man, I, there's- You want to be prophets to the people outside of our doors, Come but on. don't want to be a prophet to the person in our mirror. And that's- that's the going back to the Isaiah one through five, mm -hmm. but we never get to the Isaiah six. So what was me? Um, we are not, we don't see ourselves as a part of the problem. We see ourselves as fixers of the problem. Yeah. Um, and only, and when we see ourselves as fixers, we see ourselves as saviors 
not someone in need of a savior. Um, and I think that's where we are. We're like, we don't need God. We don't need church. We don't need religion. We are the solution yeah. um, without realizing that we also are the problem. Amen. Amen. Is there, is there anything you want to add to this uh, conversation? I think it's been rich. And I think I love the point you brought up, especially about hope, because I think that is the only way in which we survive these times is to have hope in an unshakable, unchanging God. Well, and uh, let me ask you, let me ask you, how, how, you are as alert or as, as keen to the zeitgeist of the day as anybody <laughs> is. What are, what is your, what are your thoughts? Um, first, let me say this, praise God for you and what you guys do. Um, and Jew three project, and I and I think this this is a you are a jewel and a treasure to our to our church and to our community. Thank but you, to, to go back to you know the question, what are what do you what do you think? Are you hopeful? Do you think we live or we're in a time that, um, especially with the election coming up, racial discourse being extremely unhealthy? Um, the need for justice, the need for reform, um, af you know, afoot. However, the the postures of people, like, how do you feel? Like, what is your post on things? So that I think that's a really good question. Um, I I've seen all the, you know, scrolling on social. You see, and I really let me let me ask let me ask let me ask something to this, especially in context of the black church and kind of like the black traditional church, black evangelicalism, and uh, kind of like the the woke black crowd. Those three little you know categories. What are your thoughts? Um, so <clears throat> one, I say scrolling on social, I, I realize that people, even though they're anti, American capitalism, their hope is very much in the American system. Mm. Um, and I started to notice this recently when I was seeing more of my progressive friends, when things would happen in government, they'd be like, I'm crying or I'm physically shaken. And I'm like, did you think they were really going to save us? <laughs> 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 and I think people have put their hope in systems they don't even believe in. Yeah, but I, I don't fault them, no. But uh, let me let. I want you to finish. I don't. This is my thing. I don't have hope in the American system as well. However, I, I, I do have. <laughs> it's funny. Like I said this at a, at a at a talk recently. It 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 amazes me that. I do think if black people are waiting for some majestic allyship from white people, then we'll be waiting for another century or we'll be having this conversation another century from now. I do think our, our attention needs to turn away from this idea of trying to solve white supremacy to more towards black empowerment. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I, I think that's, and sometimes those things are one and the same. However, I don't think it's always one and the same. I think you can achieve black empowerment, which I've seen many people do, which I think I do myself. Um, which I've seen communities, and we've seen communities in history do it without us depending on one white allyship or always having our attention on white supremacy and trying to figure out how white supremacy is either an, uh, an obstacle force or um, some sort of thing for us to solve, which I don't know if we'll solve it. And I'll say this real, too, real quick. That to me means not just focusing on political change, right? Because I do think political change is quite important. Political capital and power is quite important, but I think it also means trying to turn our attention towards human and social capital. Like how do we get people better jobs within our community, create better um, uh, institutions within our community and start supporting uh, people and institutions in our community, rather trying to figure out how to get to some white table or deconstruct some white uh, idea. Um, and we've seen black people thrive within this society and this system. And so the best way to me, and I know people have said, have uh, adverse opinions on this, I believe that the best way to thrive is to see the system for what it is, 
and try to figure out how to use it for our benefit while doing it in a benevolent way that's not trampling over people. Now, I know I wanted you to answer the question. <laughs> and I just hijacked you. That's my that was my male privilege, I guess, my patriarchy. And I apologize. So no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> um, but I do think, you know, when I say, did you believe the American system was going to save you? I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have hope in the, you know, in the progression of the system or the American ideal. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that as believers, I think we have put too much weight on American, the American idea and not enough weight on the God we serve. Come on. Uh -huh. Amen. Um, so I think we have an imbalance there. So our disappointment goes up to, I, I wonder, have we really bought in to the God we serve? Or we claim to serve, mm. um, and I, 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 as I see people rattled and shaken, it is almost as if to the like, not saying like, oh my God, you know, we all were shaken when Trump got elected. So I'm not saying that, you know, right, right. but I'm saying that to their core, as if life is over and they might as well just lay down and die. And I'm like. There seems to for that reaction seems to be a bit much yeah. if I'm to be a believer in God. Yeah. Not saying that you can't be shaken or concerned, but I'm like to your core, like we like we don't got no hope. Like there's yeah, right. <laughs> a God of the universe that you bought in to this is it. Yeah. And I've just been, you know, challenging people like this is not, this is not our home. This is not it. There is life after this and justice won't bring you the healing that you think it will. Yeah. Right. That's but it, it'll, it'll make life better, but you're right. Yeah, it, it, part it, of it, it won't solve the problems. It won't yeah. solve the problems. Yeah. But I, I'll say this, I'll take a check. I'll take a reparations check, but that don't mean that it's going to make my life that much better, but I'll take that check though. Yeah. No, I, I'm definitely <laughs> We fight, and I don't want anybody to say, oh, I'm just saying we don't fight for justice or reparations, all of those things. Yeah. But I'm saying we fight for those things also in the proper perspective of knowing that it won't save our souls or heal us from the trauma. So yeah. think about a person. Yeah, that's good. If, 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 you're, if your parent was killed, you getting justice and that person going to prison doesn't replace that parent or heals the pain of that parent's yeah. absence. Yeah. And so I think we, it is a part, getting justice is a part because you don't want to see that. You want justice. Yeah. But think about if I, if all my hope is in justice here and I think about all the people who don't get justice here, I would be really hopeless if this was all that there was, think about our ancestors that were lynched, um, injustices that were raped, murdered, slaughtered, and they didn't get the the murderers got away scot free. If this is all there is, and I that is a hopeless state. I have yeah. to trust yeah. that God is a just God, yeah. and that He will give judgment to those who did wrong to my ancestors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And not only that God is a just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. I thought you were done. Go ahead. And I said, not only that God is a just God, but that he's a, a forgiving God and he's a gracious God, because oftentimes we never see ourselves as part of the problem. Mm. And, you know, it, within racism, no, you know, we're, we're, I would say, yeah, but there are other situations when we think about, so I'm, I'm, I'm one, I would consider myself somewhat well-traveled, but I also participate or I'm on the board of uh, an organization that does a lot of, uh, uh, overseas advocacy when it comes to environmental justice. The things that we, the, the way that America contributes to the pollution around the world is somewhat devastating. And we think about the, the consumerism within this country. We think about the way we waste stuff. We think about even some of the, the practices and habits we have, we, we, we create poverty in other countries. And so if we're talking about the type of justice that we want, oh, we want justice now, then we are complicit in some of the, that poverty overseas. We're complicit in some of the poverty a couple of communities over. And to your point, because in America, we see like COVID is very 
problematic for us. But I was thinking about it. There are countries, especially on the motherland, that live, this is their life to live under a pandemic all the time. And it's like, for us, we think it's the end of the world. No, it's just a discomfort to us. But the rest of the world is living with this kind of discomfort for most of the time. And it's like, when it becomes us, then it's the end of the world. When people have it so much worse, and this is their re- this has been their reality since they've been born. Yeah. So, it- and that's what it is. we just need to be sober minded. I think that's at the end of the day, you know, my goal, my, my my thought is just how are we centered? How are we people who are centered and sober minded? So, as we close, um, to woke for church, uh, I think we've been all over in this conversation, but we were all over in the last conversation. I think that's why people liked it. Um, (laughs) As people are really struggling, kind of trying to decolonize their faith and, you know, wanting to be, wanting to separate it from white supremacy completely, what advice would you give them um, as your closing thoughts for them? I would say the first thing is to understand that, um, you're in a good space because many of people um, <clears throat> have come to this place where they've recognized like, what do I believe? Why do I believe? And who's informed my belief system? And there have been some terrible short stories that have shaped my identity. And I want to, I want to get to a place where the person who I am, who God made me is dignified through scriptures and through a litany of of theologians and activists who share the same belief system that I have. My encouragement would be is to read those people, is to search those people. If there is a theology out there that is not attached to, attached to justice, then that theology and that gospel is anemic. Um, when I think about Black theological history, um, it, is a, it is a gospel message that is, a, that is tied to the idea of justice. And there, there, there's, there's a lot of writing out there. There's a lot of history out there for us to engage. And around 2010, 2011 um, is when I started to say, you know what? For, if my, if my lexicon, if my, uh, my, I, my library is just full of white Calvinists and reformers, I am missing out on a, on a, just a world of wisdom. And I began to just explore orthodoxy in East in Ethiopia, orthodoxy in North Africa. I started to explore uh, theologians and histories where I found so many people like the, the, the uh, Richard Allens and the Francis Grimkeys and the Lemuel Haynes's. And I found all these wonderful books, uh, Anna, Anna Julia Cooper's, the uh, Jarena Lee's. And guess what? These folks aren't being celebrated in our in seminaries, right? Um, maybe in certain uh, African-American seminaries they are, but most predominant seminaries aren't teaching about these people or teaching about the theological history that was tied to justice. And I would say find those folks. There are great books out there. I know an individual who we both admire, uh, Vince Bantu, Dr. Vince Bantu, just recently wrote a book. Um, and uh, I think there are resources out there, resources that you guys give at Jude 3 that I think will be beneficial for those folks out there. But and all of that, as you research, as you get more information, as you get more centered in this 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 context of black theological thought, grow in wisdom, grow in love, grow in grace. If wisdom is not teaching you to love better, then it's demonic. It's not helpful. You know what I mean? I am very adamant that the information we obtain should make us wiser and make us people who love God more and love our neighbor more. The whole posture of the folks from Richard Allen to the Thomas Skinners uh, are, 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 was for us to, one, have an identity that is centered in the Imago Dei, but also to see our brothers and sisters as individuals who are also created in the image of God. And if we can't love people, no matter who they are, then we have a problem with our theology. And I, I won't apologize for saying that I think that we are to love our neighbor and to be reconciled to people, even in the in the most ridiculous of countries like America. So um, the hope is in the gospel and my hope is in God, the redemption of all things, our personal relationship with God, our relationship with one another and the systems that we've created. 
Dope. That's super helpful. And I, I love when you were talking about wisdom. I always ask God for wisdom since I've been a child and I've heard, I heard the story of Solomon and I used to uh, pray. Uh, I learned the story of Solomon in Sunday school or it might have been through a church service. And ever since I was a kid, I prayed for God to give me wisdom. And then I heard the story of Solomon falling and I used to pray, God, give me wisdom, but help me to have the wisdom and to apply it Come on. Um, and not be like Solomon and not end up like him. But I've been thinking a lot about Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and when he got the kingdom and when he took the advice of his peers versus the advice of the elders and how the advice of his peers caused the kingdom to split and him to lose the majority of, of the kingdom of Israel. And I thought about how in in our generation, we're only listening to people our age or in the same life chapter as us mm. and how much we lose by not engaging the elders and getting uh. with those who are older. And so I love that you brought in wisdom um, and also the ability to hear from those who have been through things, um, because oftentimes when we listen to our peers and people in the same space, we think that this life chapter is all there is. But people who have been through life are able to say, no, I understand this feels like this or this decision seems like right based on your your own perspective or vantage point. But if you're looking at the whole scope and how this is going to impact the next part of your life, yeah, um, you, you'll see things differently. And I think our propensity to maybe only go to church with people our age um, versus doing life with people in other life chapters also hinders us from progression. Um, I know that was a tangent, but with- no, that was good. That was good. And actually, I wish I would have said that because I do think another element to 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 this whole conversation is too well for church is you need community. You need people. You need. I'm not saying go to the uh, traditional church gathering. Um, but I do think you need some sort of a context where people are gathering and uh, there are people who are speaking to your soul and you guys are in this mutual edification process where we're growing together in the scriptures, mm -hmm. not just having conversations about sports, not just having conversations about racism, <laughs> not just having conversations about how broken this world is, but like literally are coming together in the mutual edification of the scriptures to one another's soul. And I realized that in times recently, I've, I've, I've kind of church hopped in the last year. Um, and I realized how it's been a detriment to my soul. Honestly, mm -hmm. like how I am hurting because I don't have a, like a legitimate church home and I'm not submitted unto a, any particular group of elders. And, uh, and then this pandemic hits and it's even worse, right? Cause you can't gather anymore. And, uh, I'm, I'm doing church over the internet and, and that's, it's taught us the need for community and mm -hmm. the need to be with people. It is not only necessary in the in the, the theoretical, but it is good for our bodies. It is good for our soul. There is there are studies out there that people who live in good communities live longer, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm just this is just this is like, and I say community, not in the sense of like buildings. I'm talking about like when they are, when there's a social, healthy social community, they have better health. Um, so anyway, I know I'll be rambling, but thank you for, for catalyzing that thought I had um, and saying that. Thank you, show. This has been great, y'all. I hope y'all enjoyed uh, our conversation to Woke for Church Part 2. Thank you, show Baraka, for your wisdom, uh, your insight, and um and for your fashions. No scarf today, but uh, I really appreciate you. Hey, uh, hey, first of all, can I get a shameless plug for this brand, Good Culture? Uh, soon to drop, you know what I'm saying? Soon to drop. Okay. Yeah, new merch. All right. New merchandise. Hey, your boy, stay fresh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Two Woke for Church for the Through Eyes of Color uh, virtual experience. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners 
some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching Jude3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to jude3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jude3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.